you can live out your MasterChef dreams. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. <laughs> Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's program, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with audio adaptations of two rounds of frightening fiction about noisy neighbors and fiendish friends. I'm Otis Gyrie host of the Scary Stories Told in the Dark podcast, now in its seventh season. My show's available on iTunes and wherever podcasts can be found. And tonight, I'll be filling in as host on behalf of my very good friend, Steve Taylor. Hope you're feeling better soon. And I'll be your guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your darkest dreams. Joining us tonight to help bring to life the frightening fiction of Bourne Beach and Nathaniel Lewis to life, our voice talents Spencer Bruce and Luke Fisher. Now get your ticket ready, take your seat in our Theater of the Minds, and brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. <laughs> Our first tale tonight comes to us from author Bourne Beach and is performed by Spencer Bruce. In it, a gentleman has just moved into his new home, only to find out he's not alone. And his spectral neighbor is a paranormal pain. What's a man to do when he wants to report a civil ordinance violation and the culprit's a ghost? Stay tuned and find out. Without further ado, I present to you the entity and the lad. 
All right, let me get straight into it. I hate kids. Like, I loathe them. My best friend has two kids, both bright, both courteous, both talented, bless their hearts. And both of them absolutely suck. I know that sounds harsh, but I've only had a few hours of sleep and I'm kind of on edge. For the past week, I've been woken up again and again by all manner of ridiculous shit. I'm talking eggs, splattering my window, ear-splitting renditions of Linkin Park's Hybrid Theory album that always gets the lyrics to run away wrong, and strobe lights beaming into my bedroom. The weird part? All of it's coming from the same place, the treehouse of my backyard. You have to understand that when I bought this house, the treehouse wasn't really a consideration. It just wasn't. I was looking for a cheap property with a decent layout and potential to renovate. I wasn't looking for a pain in my ass, and yet, here I am. I've been a homeowner for a little under a week, and I'm almost ready to throw in the towel. Initially, I thought some neighborhood kid had started using my treehouse as a home base. It wasn't until I went out there three nights ago, while the strobe lights were still firing at my window, and inspected the tree fort, that I realized I wasn't dealing with a neighborhood kid after all. I was dealing with something far worse. See, after I demanded that the troublemakers show themselves, a ghostly apparition appeared. At first, I thought it was just a short ghost, but then I noticed the backwards ball cap, some 41 hoodie, and the middle finger it was giving me. The son of a bitch was a ghost kid! I stormed out of there, fired up Craigslist, and started looking for some assistance with my problem. What I got was worse than useless. It was downright shameful. Seriously, have you ever tried putting out an ad for ghost removal? Let me tell you, the people that respond are not society's shining stars. Hell, I'm pretty sure at least half of them thought I was bullshitting and didn't even believe in ghosts themselves. For example, one guy showed up with an open beer in his hand, a fucking Bud Light, and asked me how many people the ghost had killed so far. Killed so far, buddy! If this ghost had a body count, I'd be contacting the police, not an alcoholic on Craigslist. <sighs> the people who actually believed in ghosts were even worse. Two came by, a guy and a girl, and they strolled through my house with EMF detectors, humming and mumbling to themselves. I kept trying to tell them the ghost was up in the treehouse, but they wouldn't listen to me. I feel a soul chained to this place, the guy said. It has unfinished business in this house. I tried asking him where the ghost was chained, and what unfinished business it had. But the guy, Crowley, pretty sure that wasn't his real name, waved his hand dreamily and said the spirit had ceased contact. Ceased contact? This is my house! You don't get to just make some vague excuse about having unfinished business and then couch surf until the end of time. Oh, the girl wasn't any better. First of all, she said her name was Raven, which I'm 90% certain was also a fake name. But she kept going on about crap like, there's a strong aura in the bathroom, and I feel a melancholy energy in the kitchen. Yeah, that strong aura was the burrito I ate for supper last night. And that melancholy energy is the expired chicken I keep forgetting to take out of the fridge. I was feeling pretty sour about paying these hacks 300 bucks. But once they climbed up to the treehouse, I realized it had been worth every penny. They started wandering around with their dowsing rods and chanting their mumbo-jumbo. Crowley sprinkled some salt here and there, Raven said some words in Latin, I scowled. It took all of three minutes for the ghost kid to get fed up and splat Crowley square in the face with an egg. 
The yoke ran down his nose and he stopped mid-chant, looking at me aghast as if I tossed it. Then one, no two, no three more, all rapidly pelted him in quick succession. Splat, splat, splat! Ah! He ran around shrieking, ghost eggs exploding all over his trench coat and getting in his lustrous blue hair. Raven started pleading with the ghost to spare Crowley, as if the little shit could be reasoned with. And then she too started getting showered in yokes. The two of them ran screaming from the property faster than you could say Ghostbusters. I know this for a fact, because I shook my head and muttered those very words. Before I could finish speaking, the gate to my backyard was already swinging on its hinges. So, in light of those two colossal failures, I decided to take matters into my own hands. I fired up Reddit, did a little ghost research, then went out and picked up a few choice items. One being a Ouija board, and the other being a prescription for sleeping meds. Boom! That leads me to now, where I've decided I'm going to kill two birds with one stone. First of all, I'm finally going to get some actual sleep, and secondly, I'm going to contact the little shit haunting my treehouse and give him a piece of my mind. I'll be updating this in real time with my experiences. If something goes sideways, just know that I was murdered by the ghost kid, and somebody salt and burned that turd's bones. Thanks. Here goes. I pop a sleeping pill, whip out my Ouija board, and make a collect call to the afterlife. It only takes a minute for the kid to answer, and when he does, it's with the typical teenage smirk. What do you want? He says. Ugh. I roll my eyes and roll up my sleeves. Time to get down to business. I move the planchette across the board, spelling out the words, I want you out of my treehouse, you fucking shit. He doesn't take kindly to that. After a bit more back-and-forth trash-talking, I tell him to vamoose before I go up there with a chainsaw and tear the whole thing down. That's when he tells me exactly what he's doing up there, and just how fucked I truly am. You see, this ghost, and I congratulate my suspicions on being correct here, actually is a 13-year-old kid. The reason that he's been pelting my window with ghost eggs, however, has not been to drive me to an early grave via stress, but rather to save my life. I know, weird, right? Let me explain. It turns out, Crowley and Raven had actually been onto something with their whole melancholy energy and unfinished business thing. According to the ghost in the treehouse, who I'll henceforth be referring to as Ghost Lad, he once lived in my house as a joyous breathing boy until a demonic entity rolled up and devoured him in the middle of the night. I tell him that's super shitty, but also a pretty rad way to die. Plus, it explains the weird stain on the bedroom wall, and why it's the only room that's hardwood and not carpet. He goes on to say that his family fled for their lives, but first, they hired an exorcist and chained the entity to the house. Nobody wants a demon moving with them, right? I make the point to politely apologize for their cowardice, but he tells me it's cool, they were just being pragmatic. We talk a bit more, and I learn he doesn't even really like the treehouse, but his soul can't pass on to the afterlife, so he's stuck. Apparently, when the entity devoured him, it also scarred his soul pretty bad. And I guess the gates of heaven told him to get lost. Bummer. I ask why he's haunting my treehouse, though, if he died in the upstairs bedroom. He then asks me, with a lot of teenage sass, Oh, I'm sorry, would you like to roommate with the demonic entity that devoured your soul? I tell him to chill, 
and at this point my sleeping meds are kicking in, so I let loose a big yawn. Ghost Lad becomes mildly offended. Is my story boring you? He wheegies. Sorry that a demon scarring my soul and murdering me don't excite you. I explain that it isn't boring me, I just haven't slept in two days thanks to his incessant interruptions. Ghost Lad then explains that his interruptions are the only reason we're even having this discussion in the first place. I tell him, no shit, I didn't buy a Ouija board for the fucking fun of it. He claps back. No, I mean if I didn't, you would be dead right now. I pause and stare at the Ouija board in stunned silence. Did Ghost Lad just fucking threaten me? I stifle another yawn to avoid offending the kid. Grab the planchette and message back. What do you mean? Ghost Lad explains that this entity, whatever it is, prefers to strike its victims while they sleep. That's how it got him when he was just a boy. One moment he was snoozing, the next moment his leg was getting chewed on by a creature from the pits of hell. He says the eggs he's been whipping at my window, along with the shitty Lincoln Park karaoke and stupid strobe lights, have all been for the sole purpose of keeping me alive. I guess the kid's been creeping on me since I got here. And every so often, he'd notice the demonic entity slink on up, lick its lips, and get ready to snack. That's when Ghost Lad would spring into action. A feeling of regret washes over me. My eyes are beginning to feel very heavy, and I'm beginning to realize I've made a fairly large blunder. Sorry, I message. Gotta go. Why? I took sleeping meds. Feel drowsy. WTF? I get up from the Ouija board and figure at this point I really can't trust myself to stay awake. To be safe, I should probably just leave the house entirely. I could always come back tomorrow with Raven and Crowley and try to deal with this demonic entity then. Actually, scratch that. I'll call up Bud Light Guy. He clued onto the body count almost immediately. Which, as far as I'm concerned, is some high-tier psychic shit. I cross the living room and try to leave through the back door. But the back door isn't budging. I check the lock and the deadbolt, but neither are engaged. What the fuck? I rub my eyes, wondering if I'm just so tired that I'm imagining things before deciding I don't have time to write this shit out any longer. Instead, I fired up my phone's speech-to-text app and start dictating. Okay, I'm at the front door now. No luck. Things wedged like a boulder. Wondering why I'm continuing to update this, but I think it's because at this point it might end up being my last will and testament. Plus... If I do get ganked by a demon, then you know I'm getting my own Netflix special. Wait. Fuck! The windows! I'll try those! Damn, those aren't budging either. I'm contacting Ghost Lad again via Ouija. He says, run. Yikes. Not good. I'm yawning every 30 seconds now. And my vision is getting blurry. I'm running out of time and options. As much as I hate to make a ruckus in the neighborhood, especially when I've just moved in, I'm desperate enough to no longer give a crap. I'm going to grab a chair from the kitchen and whip that shit through the living room window. Before I do, though, I'm going to post this. It might be the last thing I ever write. And the next people who move into this house deserve to know what lives here. And God willing, get a better price than I did. I'll give you an update if I manage to survive. If I don't, then uh, just remember that the next time something wakes you up in the middle of the night... It might not be a nuisance. It might actually just be a friendly neighborhood ghost trying to save your goddamn life. Which reminds me, I need to save mine.
Toodles. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. I hope you enjoyed The Entity and The Lad, as written by Bourne Beach and performed by Spencer Bruce. Up next, we've got a second sinister story for you, as written by Nathaniel Lewis and performed by Luke Fisher. As a fun fact, did you know that Luke is one of Chilling Tales' longest contributing performers? It's true, his first performance with us, back in late 2012, was of a tale called The Staring Doll, which he reprised for fun in 2020. But when he originally performed it, he was just 12 years old. <laughs> Kids. <laughs> they grow up so fast. In Luke's latest performance, he brings to life a character many of us are unfortunately all too familiar with. A teenager struggling with finding his identity and avoiding his bullies. And in the case of the young man at the center of tonight's tumultuous tale, he's willing to go to some rather unconventional means to make friends, and may get more than he bargained for. Now, without further ado, I present to you, I made a monster out of clay. My name is Mortimer Lipschitz. I know the name itself suggests otherwise, but I shit you not, that's really my name. I used to wish it wasn't. On all that's holy, I wished it wasn't, but I suppose the name was never really the problem. The name was just the icing on a 
gluten-free cake with bad lungs and a high-pitched, lisping voice wind out from a face that, as I have been told many times, makes you want to punch it on sight and break those stupid glasses. Hang in there, shits. Those, those balls will drop one of these days and then you'll drive all the girls wild. I, I tried to tell myself that there is some truth to this. That I'd have my time someday. So let them have theirs now. But there's not much you can say to reassure yourself when Brad Jenkins has your Star Wars undies hiked up past your belly button and everyone is laughing at you. That's that, that's hard to come back from. And, and if you go crying to a teacher, it's twice as bad the next time. And there, there's always a next time when you're in high school and your name is Mortimer Lipschitz. Oh, wait, did, did I mention I have an enormous birthmark splashed across my face like an island on a map that nobody wants to visit? My mother always said it made me unique and beautiful. Brad always said that it makes my face look like a literal asshole. And so it makes sense that I'm called Lipschitz. Is it any wonder that when I first read the story of Rabbi Ilayahu, who successfully created a creature out of clay to do his bidding for him, I started to get ideas of my own? I will say this from the start. I never meant to hurt anyone. Though in retrospect, I, I should have been aware that people getting hurt would be the most likely outcome of this. I bought the clay in $20 intervals each week. That was my allowance, and it bought me 10 pounds off Amazon. Morty, what's the deal with this clay? My father asked me one day. He had no qualms about opening packages addressed to me. It was his house, and he had a right to know what was going on in it. I'm building models of Star Wars ships, since you never buy me the Lego ones when I ask. It's good to be thrifty, admitted my father. But foolish to indulge in fantasy. Space wizards won't help you in real life, Morty. Learning useful skills, that will. Always fair and wise, he added. Though perhaps you can play all this playing with clay and something useful at a later date. There's no shame in being a potter. As potters, I needed no less in this world than doctors. Each plays his part, and so the world works. I started with the breasts. If I was going to craft a companion for myself, I figured I might as well swing for the fences. Which, by the way, I never made it past T-Ball. To put it plainly, in addition to feeling extremely lonely and helpless in the world, I was horny. So sue me. I quickly learned that I had no innate ability as a sculptor. The breasts were misshapen and one was much larger than the other, but still they, they did the trick. Week by week I added what parts the blocks of clay afforded me. An arm here, an arm there, both of them screwy and out of proportion, but arms nonetheless. Each night I put my creation in the closet tucked away behind my button-up shirts. The next day, I would go to school to the usual merciless bullying, dreaming of a day when I could bring my friend to life. 
I suppose I never actually believed that I could bring her to life, but even in her partially formed, decidedly lifeless state, she... she helped me. I pretended that she was alive, and my friend, my... my lover... Those guys are stupid, she'd say, her lumpy hand on my lap. In ten years, you'll be the CEO of a software company, and they'll be pumping gas at the Irving. Now unzip your pants, my love. It helped. Brad still gave me swirlies on a near-daily basis, along with Melvins and Noogies, and everyone still laughed at me during the day. But when I got home, I... I had Shamira, my guardian. For though we did things together, she was first and foremost my protector against the world, and that's what the name Shamira means. I suppose even the other thing was a part of that protection. Burying myself in the soft folds of her flesh where nobody could hurt me. After many weeks of work, Shamira came to be complete. Standing back, looking at her, there was no denying that I had done a truly awful job. A three-year-old child could have drawn a more convincing human body than I'd fashioned out of clay. But it didn't matter. I, I had a friend in the lore here supposed to etch a word into your golem and say the appropriate prayer in Hebrew. I straightened out a paperclip and wrote, Friend on Shamira's shoulder and repeated the prayer from a book. Then I, I stood back and watched. I knew in my mind that nothing would happen, but my, my heart hoped. Shamira didn't move. Of course she didn't, you, you idiot. I reprimanded myself. I sat staring at her in dejected silence for a long time. I, I couldn't even bring myself to pretend that night. All I could think about was what a miserable, desperate loser I was, and always would be. There would be no future for me. The world belonged to Brad now, and it always would. Finally, I was dragged out of my deep trance of self-pity by my father, banging at the door. Time for bed, Morty! Get those teeth brushed! What, you want me to pay $7,000 for a dentist to yank out your molars painfully? Because you couldn't be bothered to do this simple task? I got up, sighed, and shoved my shameful and pathetic creation into the closet. Tomorrow, I'll, I'll tear it apart into a thousand shapeless humps of clay, and then throw it all in the trash where it belongs! The next morning, I... I awoke to find Shamira in bed next to me. What in the actual fuck? I wondered. M must have gone sleepwalking again. Sleepwalking was one of my many nighttime problems. I still, at 15 years old, pissed myself on occasion in the middle of the night. I groaned at how miserable I was. My subconscious wouldn't let this fantasy go. I had gotten up in the middle of the night and dragged that thing into bed with me. And then... I felt something move. Under the covers, something was wrapping itself around my most private of parts. I looked, 
wide-eyed at Shamira's Picasso-esque face. It seemed to be donning a wide grin. I know I was. Shamira was alive. There was little doubt about that, though there was some doubt. Perhaps I had finally broken completely with reality, the bright line between fact and fantasy having been eroded into dust by the crushing weight and grind of my desperation. Well, if that was the case, I was alright with that too. My father was banging on the door again. Time to get up, Morty! Shake off your dreams and come meet the day already! I collected myself. I I'll be right along, father. Then I turned to Shamira. You need to stay in the closet, I whispered. I have to get to school now, but I'll see you this afternoon. Do you understand? Shamira nodded and swung a leg out from under the covers. She stood up, moving in unnatural fits and starts, wobbling, tottering, and lumbering. I, I couldn't believe it. She was actually... Moving. She put her hand on the closet knob and threw the door open, nearly taking it off the hinges. Then she stepped in and slammed the door behind her. What's with the horrendous noise, Morty? My father called. Sorry, father. Uh, I just dropped one of my school books. Be careful with those. They contain priceless knowledge, Morty. I went about my morning routine in a giddy daze. It worked. It's she's real. I, I have a friend. I I have a friend. My mother dropped me off at school. It was the last day before the holiday breaks, and it turned out to be absolutely miserable. First, because I longed painfully to be in my room with Shamira, and second, because Brad and his friends sensed some measurement of happiness stirring within my soul and so dished out the punishment twice as hot as usual. They had been making overtures all day, and then, as I was walking into the cafeteria for lunch, they went for the kill. Before I could even process what was happening, I was yanked into the boys' bathroom. Paul and Mac, two of Brad's thuggish friends, held me by the arms as Brad looked me over. What is it with you today, lipshit? You've had this shit-eating grin on your face all day. You haven't been eating shit again, have you? Have you, Mortimer? Have you been eating shit again? Answer me. A bit of boldness came over me. Though, in retrospect, I should have squashed it immediately. No, I said. I've got a girlfriend. That's all. Brad laughed. <laughs> Bullshit! <laughs> oh, maybe a little boyfriend. I could see that. Is that what you meant, lip shit? Found a little boyfriend so you could eat the shit out of his asshole? Two and a half hours. Two and a half more hours. Then I'll be with Shamira. Then I'll be with Shamira. Okay, Brad. Sure. Brad laughed again. A vicious laugh, devoid of anything resembling good humor. <laughs> oh, oh, you, you, <laughs> you guys hearing this? Lipshit here loves smearing shit from his boyfriend's asshole all over his lips. 
That's fucking disgusting! Said Paul. Gross little freak. Said Mac. They both squeezed my arms a little tighter. Why won't they just leave me alone if they don't like me? I wondered. Uh, now, now, said Brad. This is a judgment-free zone. It's a safe space. If Mortimer here wants to eat shit, we we should respect that. I, I think you boys owe shitlips here an apology. Sorry, shitlips, said Paul. If you want to eat shit, that's your lifestyle choice, and it's not my place to judge you for that. I apologize, said Mac. They squeezed me a little tighter. It hurt. Don't cry, it will only encourage them. An apology is fine, said Brad. Uh, but if you think about it, just words. Ah, what good are words? Hadn't thought about it like that, said Paul. Guess words aren't really worth much after all now that you mention it, said Mac. Two and a half hours. As so it happens said Brad. I would like to offer you a gift, Mortimer, to, to make up for the crassness of my associates here. A real, solid gift. <laughs> That's a great idea, said Paul. Well, nothing beats a gift, said Mac. A real solid gift. Do you know what it is, Shitlips? asked Brad. I shook my head. I wanted to leave. I wanted to leave so badly. Maybe I would. After this incident, I'd fake a stomachache and have my mother come pick me up. It wouldn't be the first time. There, in that stall, said Brad, pointing behind me. There was a fresh turd. Coach has me on a high-fiber diet, so it's a good one, I, I assure you. So, go ahead and eat it. It's all yours, since you love eating shit so much. I saved it for you. It, it, took, it took a moment for Brad's words to fully hit the processing center of my brain. No. No, they're not... They're not really going to make you eat a turd. They're just trying to scare you. And if that was their intention, it it was working. Please, I muttered. Brad smiled. Uh, I already said you could have it. You don't have to beg. I don't want to. Please don't make me do it. I, I'm sorry. Whatever I've done, I'm, I'm sorry. Kinda disrespectful to refuse my gift, said Brad, frowning now. Is there something wrong with my shit? I realized there was no way out. They were going to do with me as they pleased. I never had a chance. Then I did start sobbing. My asthmatic lungs constricting and making my breath come out in jagged gasps. Please don't make me do it. Don't, don't make me do it. Brad reached over and took off my glasses. I saw the blur of him reaching his fist back and slamming it into my nose. 
I heard a terrible crunch as pain spread out across my face and inside of my head. Next time, he said, the glasses stay on. He put them back on me, and I saw him clearly then, alive with a burning, unstoppable cruelty. Okay, uh, I'll do it. That's a good boy. Just one bite, really. It's the polite thing to do. Let me know that my gift has some value to you. Paul and Max spun me around and shoved me into the stall. And then there I was. Face to face with Brad's stinking turd. It was enormous. Coiled up like a snake. With bits of it dissolving into the toilet water. My head was swimming in pain and fear, and my heart was thudding in my ears. I did not want to do this. But I saw little choice in the matter. There there was, there was no escaping it. I reached into the toilet and grabbed the turd, feeling it squish between my fingers. That was all it took. I let forth a torrent of vomit, hauled down my arm and into the toilet bowl. Behind me, I could barely hear the three hyenas delighting in my pure misery. Could barely hear them over the buzzing in my head. Oh, oh my god! He was gonna do it! One of them said, in between a fit of laughter. He was actually gonna eat a piece of shit! <laughs> and then I heard them walking away, out of the bathroom. I stood there in the stall, my arm covered in shit and puke, my face dripping with tears and blood. The lunch bell rang for the second time, indicating that the lunch period was over and done with. Just as I finished cleaning up, that was just as well. I had lost my appetite. I went straight from the bathroom to the Nurse Henley's office. There was little need to put on an Oscar-worthy performance. I had seen my reflection in the bathroom mirror. I looked like an abandoned orphan tossed at death's front door, and I felt that way too. Even the promise of returning to my room and being with Shamira held little joy. All joy in fact, had been beaten out of me, and I was humiliated. I had done nothing wrong that I could understand other than having the audacity to be Mortimer Lipschitz. The nurse hung up the phone and shook her head. Nobody's answering. Is there, a, is there another number we could try? I thought about having her call my father. I would never hear the end of it, nor would my mother. It's not that my father was abusive, he just... He had very, very specific and unyielding ideas about how life should be conducted, and calling a man away from important business because you have a little tummy ache was something you did not do. He would lecture me on and on and begin to place extra scrutiny on me. He would search thoroughly for bad influences in my life and almost certainly would find out about Shamira. As bad as I felt in that moment, calling my father would provide little relief. 
and it would only serve to make things worse. I shook my head. Uh, let's try in a couple of minutes. Is it okay if I stay here while I wait? Of course, dear, said Nurse Henley. You look due for some rest, and I have some paperwork to file with the front office. Uh, you just sit here, and then when I come back, we can try again. I sat and looked out the window at the wretched world. They were having gym class outside today. Dodgeball. I was glad I wasn't there. I saw Brad palm one of the rubber balls, lift his arm up high, and absolutely wing the thing at Henry Gladwell. Henry, like me, was a weakling. He toppled over onto his ass and sat there with a stunned look on his face. I sighed and looked back down at my shoes, then back outside. Off in the distance, beyond the athletic field, I saw movement. Something... something was coming. It moved in fits and starts, sometimes stopping and then seeming to somehow grow larger as it stood there. I blinked my eyes hard and shook my head. That blow from Brad must have rattled me worse than I thought. The thing was still there, getting closer and growing larger. It was red. It was... No, 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 can't be. Is it? It was close enough now that there was no mistaking it. One enormous lopsided breast bounced higher than the other, which was quite a bit smaller. It was Shamira, and as she got closer, I saw what she was doing. She was reaching down and pulling up a handful of earth and slapping it on her body. Her body absorbed it, adding to its mass, making my friend grow larger and larger. Henry saw her first. He was sitting on the bench when he reached out an arm to point and started shouting something. One by one, hands turned in Shamira's direction. And then, when the eyes conveyed the message to the brain, extended horizontally in slack-jawed amazement. Nobody had ever seen anything like it. What was it? Shamira was by then twice as tall as the gym teacher who was blowing his whistle and pointing at the side door to the school. He was yelling, Inside! I could hear it through the window. Everybody get inside! The crowd didn't need all that much convincing. I witnessed feats of athleticism that the gym teacher wouldn't have been able to coax out of those students in a hundred years. People were sprinting, elbowing each other, leaping over each other, moving with a single-minded purpose. To get away from the thing that even now was taking a scoop out of the 50-yard line and patting those spoils to the side of its monstrous eed, making it bigger and even more monstrous. Shamira, I thought. Can you hear me? Yes, friend. I hear Please, don't hurt anybody. Did hurt you, friend? Shamira took a massive step forward, going from the 50 to the 40-yard line in one stride. Mac was standing in the end zone, transfixed. His friends were pulling at his arms, trying to get him to move, but he he seemed to be in a state of shock. Finally, they, they, they gave up on him and ran with all their might. They did, but that doesn't mean that we should hurt them now. 
Nothing is gained by perpetuating the cycle of violence. Leave them be. I'll meet you at home. Friend. Finally, Max's brain seemed to awaken, and he made a desperate move to run. It was far too late. Shamira stood towering over him, and even after he had made it a few yards away, all she had to do was sweep her arm out, which she did. The impact of the back of her hand upon Max's body sent him catapulting through the air like a wayward dodgeball. Stop! Stop! Shamira, please! Shamira pivoted her body to face Max. He was lying on the ground, rocking back and forth in pain. She reached out and plucked him up in one hand. No! She lifted him up into the air so that his small, terrified eyes were level with her giant, enraged eyes. And she tightened her grip. No, stop! Please! I'm begging you! I'm commanding you! The unrestricted parts of Max's body began thrashing violently around in a vain attempt at escape or in an expression of agony. I don't know. Most likely both. Next door, in the front office, there was an explosion of panicked shouting. The students were pouring in the side door, screaming in terror. Outside, Mac did not thrash around for very long. And when he stopped, it was clear that he would never thrash again. Shamira dropped his corpse to the ground, a flood of intestines rushing out of his ruptured stomach. Shamira bent down, scooped up an enormous handful of earth, and packed it into her body. She repeated this action, able to add on more mass to her body the larger she grew, so that she grew exponentially. The principal's voice boomed out over the speakers. If I may have your attention, all students and faculty are to remain inside of the school building, in the safest place that you can find. I, I, j just hide under a desk if you can find one. This is not a drill. We have an... We are in the midst of an active situation. The police have been notified and are en route. Everything, we're, 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 we're going to be okay. Just don't go outside. If you pray, then pray. Shamira slammed her fist through the side of the building. A moment later, she was pulling Paul out. He was pinched between her giant fingers. She held him aloft and then reached inside the school again with her unoccupied hand to pull out Brad. My tormentor's faces looked for the first time, like mine had usually looked, vulnerable and terrified. I stood up and ran through the front office, through the headless pandemonium and out the hole in the side of the building. Shamira looked down at me. Stop this! I shouted. Let them go! You, you frightened them! Let that be enough! <laughs> she flicked one of her free fingers and Paul's head went sailing through the air, all the way across the football field, and through the goalpost on the other side. 
The rest of Paul was dropped unceremoniously and splattered apart on impact with the ground, flecking me with blood and bits of gore. Help! Screamed Brad. Morty, Morty, please! Morty, please help me! I'll, I'll do anything! I should have known. I should have known from the legends. They all end the same way. They all... And then I had the answer. I ran over to Shamira's foot and began clawing my way up her leg. She didn't notice, as far as I could tell. She had forgotten all about me and was now a being of mindless destruction. When I tried to communicate with her in my mind, there was only a harsh static. Morty, please! I'm so sorry for everything! I was only ever joking! I scurried up her side past that special fold that I knew so well. It was now as large as my entire body. I kept climbing, beyond exhausted from the effort. I looked up, beyond the twin mountains that served as her breasts, to see her lift Brad to her mouth. She bit him in half, swallowing the bottom half and setting the top half down very gently on the field. Brad was still alive. Jagged strings of organs spurting blood and other fluids out of his torn torso. He was screaming so loudly that it hurt my ears. But I kept climbing, grasping onto a nipple and hauling myself up. Please don't kill me, I thought. Shamira punched another opening into the school, this time on the second floor. Standing perched on her shoulder, I was looking right in on Mr. Peterson's AP English class. Two dozen shocked and terrified faces, staring at something that defied rational thought. I clambered down Shamira's shoulder a bit, until I finally reached it. I dug my fingernails in with all of my strength, furiously tearing away at the first F, and then the R, and then finally, the I, sending handfuls of clay flying through the sky, and then it was over. End. Shamira went immediately slack and began collapsing on herself. I scrambled in a mindless frenzy of terror to stay on her highest point as she fell, knowing that if I had landed in the wrong place, that would be it. The end for me as well. I hit the ground and everything went black. I woke up in the hospital with my father sitting by my bedside. You created a golem, he said. Yeah, yes I did. I lifted my head painfully. Where is mother? Is she, is she okay? Your mother is fine. The golem locked her in the basement, but she was unharmed. The same can't be said for some of your classmates. <coughs> my father coughed. Nobody knows that it was you. Nobody knows what happened, frankly. There's talk that somebody spiked the school water supply with a hallucinogen. That everybody went temporarily mad, and that the whole affair ought to be kept under wraps until a proper cause can be found. A perpetrator. Somebody to blame. 
My father sat silent for a moment, rubbing his coarse black beard with one hand. The truth is important, son. Uh, so tell me, why did you do it? Was it for power? An expression of rage? Simply out of too much idleness, perhaps? I propped myself up on an elbow, while the machines beeped all around me. I... I just wanted a friend. I bit my lip, trying to fight back the tears. It, it didn't work. Friend! My father repeated, clearly weighing the word over in his mind. Yes, yes, I... I suppose that a friend is a fine thing to have. Those boys that died, they, uh... Uh, they weren't your friends, were they? No. Did you want them dead? Be truthful. No, but uh, I tried to stop shit. Uh, the golem, I, I didn't want her, it, to kill them. Be truthful, son. I closed my eyes and searched my soul. Had I wanted Brad and his friends to die? Uh, maybe there was a passing moment, I said slowly, when I wished they weren't here anymore. When they were trying to get me to eat shit, I heard my father cough. <coughs> Do you mean that literally? Son, I tried to make you eat shit. I opened my eyes. Yes, a literal turd, <sighs> said my father. He fell back into stroking his beard. He started clicking his tongue against the roof of his mouth. Between that and the beeping of the hospital equipment, there was a strange rhythm in that room. As of a world part human, part mechanical, in proper working order. At last, my father pronounced his judgment. Life is hard. And harder still when you're alone in the world. It is hard beyond hard when you are actively persecuted, though you have committed no wrong through your actions. During such trials, we, we grow desperate and cling to whatever comfort is available. In your case, son, you sought comfort by creating the golem. That is understandable. Although you ought have thought much further of the consequences of your actions, the golem went on to grow monstrously large and murderous. That's not the first time that this has happened. According to the books, it is important to pay heed to the lessons that have already been learned by those that came before us. That is why we pass them from generation to generation. You did wrong, son. Though, less wrong than you could have. And for justifiable reasons. As an appropriate punishment, I am canceling your participation in Hanukkah this year. I thought it over. It seemed fair enough. After all, worse things can happen. Hanukkah... Hanukkah is canceled, I said. My father nodded. Well, I, I should really be getting back to the office now. I'm glad that you're well, Mortimer. You'll be back home before you know it. My father stood up and left without any further ceremony. I was alone again. The machines kept beeping. Oh, Shamira, I muttered. Why'd you have to go and kill him? Uh, Morty? 
I looked up. They must have me on some powerful drugs, I thought. Because this... isn't happening. I don't know if you know me, but, uh... I'm Jessica Farley. I uh, used to date Brad. The beeping machine started to beep faster. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, I've seen you around. Oy vey, was she gorgeous. So, uh, everybody's pretending that they didn't see a giant monster attack our school. They're pretending that they didn't see a climb up that beast and stop it. But, um, I saw it. That is congruous with my recollection, I said. I, I, I'm not dumb, you know. I know what you just said. You probably just think I'm dumb because I was with Brad. If I thought you were dumb, it was a self-defense mechanism. Because I knew that I never had a chance with you. It was easier to put the blame on you than it was to put on myself. Huh. What the fuck is in this IV drip anyway? <laughs> Something good, that's for sure. What if I told you that, uh, that you did have a chance with me? Would you still think that I was dumb? My asthmatic lungs pushed out a wheeze that was meant to be served as laughter. <laughs> I'd think that you thought I was dumb. Well, I don't. And you do. She pressed a piece of paper into my palm. The machine started beeping even faster. It sounded like they were on the verge of exploding. When you get out of here, give me a call. Okay? Jessica left and I laid there for a long time, not moving. The paper with her number on it crumpled up in my hand, getting damp with sweat. Mortimer Lipschitz, I thought. That's my name. And there's nothing wrong with it. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I hope you enjoyed I Made a Monster Out of Clay, as written by Nathaniel Lewis and performed by Luke Fisher. That just about brings tonight's eerie excursion to a close. But before we go, I'd like to invite you again to check out more narrative nightmares on my program, Scary Stories Told in the Dark, available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever your favorite programs can be found with seven thrilling seasons to sink your teeth into, with all the tales performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. And if you drop by and like what I do, 
please take a moment to leave me a five-star review and a comment, too. And let me know you heard about me here on Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. It would mean a lot to me. I'd also like to take a moment to thank you for joining us for tonight's episode and remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave Chilling Tales for Dark Nights a five-star review and a kind word and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, if you haven't already. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. I'm your host, Otis Jiry, and as usual, it's been a pleasure. Tune in again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. <laughs> Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, a production of Chilling Entertainment, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted by yours truly, Steve Taylor. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Logo by Craig Groshek. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? We take submissions. Email it to us today at submissions at chillingtalesfordarknights.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to us. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew each and every week. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories including those you've heard on this program. We'll be back next week with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. 
Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You can live out your MasterChef dreams. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. 